the needs of the industry are changing, right? It, it may be the case that there are fewer people who are classified as water and wastewater treatment and system operators, and maybe technology is going to play a role in causing that decline. But it doesn't mean that there's going to be fewer people employed in the water industry. I am Reese Tisdale, and this is Future of Water, which we talk about all the ways which companies, utilities, and people are addressing the challenges and opportunities in water. This is episode 82, and I think it's going to be a good one. Today, I'm going to be joined by Bluefield Senior Research Director Eric Bindler. He's just back from Xylem Reach in Orlando and is now willing to share some of his insights on some, I guess, recent U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics data that show the water and wastewater sectors are in decline. It's been reported by the BLS that employment of the sector for treatment plant and system operators is actually projected to decline 6% from 2022 to 2032. So over the next 10 years, that's a significant drop. This news, if it is that news, shines a spotlight on critical infrastructure sector, faces mounting challenges from aging infrastructure assets to emerging contaminants and just basic system operations. I think that... I make light of whether it's really news because we've been talking about the silver tsunami for quite some time at Bluefield, but also it's a, a common theme across the water sector as a whole. So what we're trying to figure out or what Eric is going to hopefully shed some light on is what this may all mean. And he's willing to jump into the rain to discuss what really might be happening and his perspectives on the market as a whole. But before we do that, I had three things I wanted to bring up, which Hopefully it will be of note. Uh, firstly, I want to thank Radica Fox and the EPA Office of Water for inviting me to participate in a listening session on PFAS this past week with a host of water industry leaders from the supply chain to water utilities, all of whom are facing the challenge of emerging contaminants, most uh, notably PFAS. It was a great discussion to hear about all the challenges uh, and quite honestly, opportunities in addressing what is a seemingly pervasive problem. If you'd like to hear some of my takeaways, I can lay them all out here, but I'm going to actually send you to my LinkedIn page so you can look me up for Reese Tisdale Bluefield Research on LinkedIn. And I just posted actually this morning a list of points from the discussion that I took away from that, but also just sidebar conversations, what I thought were interesting uh, and some of the challenges facing the sector and what everybody's concerned about from Siting of, the, I guess, destruction or disposal facilities, but also just labor. So give it a look. Secondly, I want to thank Rockwell, who invited me to moderate Rockwell Automation Industry Forum panel just yesterday. The panel accelerating the journey to smart water. We discussed everything from the uses and applications of digital solutions across water and wastewater sectors but also the challenges, including things like cybersecurity and threats to adoption of data-driven technologies, such as the cloud, AI, chat GPT, and what it all means. It was also a pleasure, if anything, to be joined by a group of industry leaders. Really interesting discussion. A little dark at times, I'm not going to lie. Um, but like I said, it's all interesting and something everybody is confronting at this point and sort of what the next steps are and what it means for water and wastewater utility operators and, and leadership, as well as those third-party contract uh, service providers. 
Lastly, the third point, I'm soliciting your help. Over the last six months, feedback we have received about the Future Water podcast has been nothing but outstanding. Um, quite honestly, we've got real momentum. But not only have people dis- discovered Bluefield because of it, we've been told that it's actually a useful outlet for insights into the water sector. That's our goal. We're doing this because we have insights. We're working on all this all the time. We're not going to the outside market at this point. We're talking basically to our team internally and talking about what they're learning, sharing their perspectives. We're doing this for you. We're doing it for clients. It's not a lot to ask. So my ask is if you're using a podcast platform like Apple Podcasts, please give us a review. It's as little as clicking on the stars at the bottom of the podcast page, Future Water. You can also write up a good review. You can just say something as simple as, the Future of Water is great. That would go a long way in getting the word out even more. And if you're hearing this, I just want to thank you in advance for doing so. So those are my three points that I wanted to bring up with you today. And uh, let's get to Eric, because I think that's really where the most interesting part of the conversation is going to be rather than hearing me. So here we go. All right. So I'm joined here by Eric Bindler on Veterans Day. So thanks to all those veterans out there. And Eric, uh, you know, you and I have been on the road this week doing different things. You've been at Xylem Reach in Orlando. I was in D.C. at the EPA and then did uh, moderated a panel at the Rockwell Automation Fair. So busy week for us. And so therefore, this is what happens. You have to work on a Bluefield holiday. So how are things with you? Things are good. Yeah, it was a nice trip to Orlando. Got to catch up with some old friends and you know the conference was great took my uh six-month-old baby to to disney for a day so we had a good time we had a good time but glad to be home and kind of back in the nice fall weather nice for all the listeners out there eric uh, used to have his actually his his wife used to work for disney so they got uh free passes whenever they wanted so i'm sure that was uh I hopefully you didn't have to pay for this, but uh, okay. No, no, we still we still can find our way into free passes when we need to. <laughs> okay, <laughs> okay. Well, it may come in handy with a small child coming soon. Um, you know, as, as as she grows up. So, well, let's get to the meat of the conversation, and that is Bureau of Labor Statistics just put out um, basically some data, and there's been a lot of discussion about this through industry circles so rather than hearing me blather on about it let's why don't you give us the story what's going on with the data what is it and what are people talking about yeah so uh like you said the u.s bureau of labor statistics put out what's called an occupational outlook handbook um which i guess they do this for different types of jobs this one is specifically about water and wastewater treatment plant and system operators is kind of the full title Um, And a lot of it is just kind of basic background info on like, what does that mean? Like, what does a water and wastewater operator do? What is the work environment? What are kind of the education credentials and training and licensing and all of that? So kind of just standard qualitative stuff. Like if you wanted to be a water operator, this is what you need to know. But they have this really interesting section kind of at the back on um, the job outlook for water and wastewater operators. And they they have these this kind of figure in there that jumped out to, I mean, us and, and many others in the industry that said, basically, they're projecting that the number of uh, water and wastewater treatment plant and system operators employed in the U.S. is going to fall by about 6% 
between 2022 and 2032. And then as far as their kind of justification for that, they explicitly cite basically automation, right? Kind of digital uh, digital transformation. Um, they, well, they don't use the term digital, but they talk about automation. They talk about improved equipment monitoring systems um, and, and things like that. So they say, you know, there, there will still be the need for skilled workers um, as, you know, kind of treatment uh, and, 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 uh, and network uh, systems become more complex as the control systems become more complex. You know, so there's always going to be a need for that, that skilled labor, but the total number of people is going to be maybe the total demand for, for workers is going to shrink. And so that's something that, again, has really kind of, uh, as you mentioned, taken, taken the industry by storm. You know, a lot of people are up in arms on social media about it and things like that. And, uh, and, and really kind of an interesting data point that we wanted to spend some time unpacking. Well, I mean, you know, we've been talking about the silver tsunami, but I mean, should we be, or the industry, the Royal, we be in sort of a panic mode right now. Uh, what's the, I mean, why does it matter so much? Yeah. I mean, I, I think what's really interesting is a lot of the conversations we're seeing are from kind of tech vendors, from engineering firms that, that again, are kind of up in arms about this data point and questioning it and trying to understand it. And I think the, the, you know, first and foremost, the reason for it is there's this significant fear in the industry of digital transformation of AI, of automation, basically replacing workers. You know, that is when when you think about kind of the barriers to digital transformation within specifically kind of the utility sector, that maybe the municipal utility sector, that that concern about uh losing workers, about replacing workers is very prominent. It comes up a lot. You know, I think especially for operators, right? And and you get these situations where operators don't want to learn the new technology they don't want to work with the new technology they they kind of push against new technology because they're they don't want to be pushed out or replaced and therefore management also is kind of hesitant to kind of poke that that bear to a certain extent and and get involved in you know investing in these new technologies investing in ai or in automation or in other types of you know remote monitoring systems because they 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 you know they they don't want to start that conversation and kind of scare their their staff so many you know those of us in the industry that kind of promote digital technology and promote digital transformation, we've been kind of trying to confront those fears by really making the case that digital technology, it's not going to replace existing operators. It's going to empower them, right? It's going to help them make better decisions. It's going to free them up to do more high value work. It's going to make their lives better. I mean, we've done a lot, even, you know, Bluefield ourselves and a lot of the work, the kind of white papers and thought leadership stuff that we've done with some of our clients, we've been very much involved in kind of pushing that message, you know, as well. And so we've done stuff with like Arcadis or, or Xylem, where we've talked about the, the benefits of using digital systems, using AI to kind of enhance um, the existing operator capabilities. And, and again, kind of uh, maybe automate some of the more mundane or the more um, manual processes and, and and give operators new roles, new responsibilities, new new room for kind of creativity and and um, and decision making. There's that side of it. There's also just the fact that I mean, as we'll get into in in a little bit, staffing is a major problem in the industry, and so you know it's in many cases not so much about replacing existing workers as it is about kind of making up for workers that that are no longer around for people that have retired or for the, these positions that are hard to fill you know technology can help fill those gaps and so that's a lot of what 
the industry, what the the supplier side of the of the of the industry, what you know, engineering firms who are pushing digital transformation, we've all been kind of making this case. So for the federal government, you know, the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics to come out with these projections that say basically the opposite, <laughs> that digital technology is actually going to directly result in a 6% decline in operators over the next decade, that's something that's kind of scary and, and a pretty big deal um, that the industry is, is really kind of grappling with. Yeah, I think, it, I mean, the conversations I've had, whether it be in Washington or also here in Boston over the past week, kind of really get at this partly. One just to add some, you know, you're talking mostly about digital and what that means. But the other side of it is, you know, at the EPA meeting at the Office of Water this past week, we were talking a, a bit about, well, we we're talking about PFAS and innovation and new technologies to treat, dispose, destroy emerging contaminants. And one of the points brought up, and I can't remember who was from which company, but um, it was with the adoption or rollout of these new treatment technologies more advanced than let's just say you know the traditional activated granular activated carbon is a treatment solution it's going to require new certifications it's going to require training it's going to require new personnel so that's a whole nother aspect so it's the industry is getting squeezed in a lot of different ways one you know there's sort of the silver tsunami so people are retiring how do you capture that knowledge that information then there's also the other aspect of it and that is the externalities right so whether it's water quality issues or then there's the digital piece and then there's just the broader labor market which we maybe can dig into that but i thought that was interesting also at the automation forum, we were talking about labor is a major challenge, right? And bringing, and so it becomes competitive. So what are utilities, but also the engineering firms, you've talked about this on this podcast, but also in some of our research that everybody's fighting for these qualified people um, who have the data management capabilities, but also just, you know, the markets, the labor markets, kind of gone a little crazy over the past couple of years. But that being said, uh, you've been digging into the report and the data. So what does the data say? Yeah, so I kind of just reached out to the BLS as soon as we saw this and said, you know, could could you kind of give me some background here on where do these numbers come from? You know, what's your methodology for these projections? And I got a very long email in response with actually a lot of really helpful links. I mean, I think a lot of data that we're going to continue to dig into and see you know, if there's other ways that we can use it. But I think probably there are two major kind of pieces to unpack here. Um, the first one is just looking at the historical data, right? So I went back and grabbed essentially the BLS's kind of record for um, what that same job occupation, right? For, you know, water and wastewater treatment and system operators from the past 12 years. So about from 2011 up to 2022. And if you look at the, the top line numbers, there's, um, I, let me pull up the number so I've got it handy. There's about right now, um, about a, a hundred and twenty or so thousand people that fit that job description um, in the labor market right now in, you know, nationwide. That's where we are in 2022. The, the, the number has been growing about 1% annually over the past 12 years. It does kind of go up and down a little bit from year to year. There seemed to be a bit of a peak maybe in 2018, 2019, but it is, a, it is an occupation that has been growing. So first and foremost, it's not that there's 
this historical pattern of decline that the BLS is just projecting forward when they say there's going to be this 6% drop. So that I think is an important starting point. But what's really interesting is that when you break down the composition of the sector, you can also look at, you know, if you take that 120,000, you can look at, you know, um, what industries those those water and wastewater operators are employed in. And so as you might expect, the majority are kind of in the government or the public sector. But that that number has actually been shrinking. So from 20 in 2011, about 80% of all water and wastewater operators were employed in the public in you know what's considered a public sector, federal, state, local government, for example. You know, municipal utilities would be obviously the, the example there. But that 80% has now fallen to about 75%. So only 75% now are, are public sector employees. The other 25% are employed in a variety of private sector uh industries, right? And so We've seen the number of private sector, privately employed water and wastewater operators has grown by about 32% over the past 12 years. Pretty big jump, especially in a, a, you know various kind of industrial verticals, right? So uh, the manufacturing sector has seen about a 60% jump in the number of water and wastewater operators over the past 12 years, but also the private utility market, which includes, of course, private water utilities, but also kind of the power sector, right? You know, um, water and wastewater treatment facilities associated with with power generation and, and oil and gas and things like that. And this really resonates with what we've been seeing. I mean, we obviously do a lot of work in the industrial water and wastewater management sector. We've been putting out reports this year, kind of digging in vertical by vertical and into verticals like, you know, power, energy, oil and gas, food and bev, you know, semiconductor manufacturing. And yeah, this, this trend is towards kind of uh, establishing and installing on-site, um, you know, treatment infrastructure essentially to to help these industrial facilities or these industrial players manage their water challenges. You know, get the water quality that they need. Potentially invest in reuse um, to to address water scarcity. You know, kind of avoid regulatory issues related to their wastewater discharge and, and things like that. So it it makes sense, right? I mean, that as we're seeing the sector the sector is growing, but a lot of that growth is actually coming from from private sector uh, water and wastewater operators. So that's that's the first big takeaway here when we look at the historical data. Um, when we flip to the BLS's projections for what's going to happen over the next 10 years, right? This kind of 6% decline in the total number of operators, you, they also provide you the opportunity to dig in on what's happening there. And, and you can make some of the same cuts as to um, not just the total 120,000 operators, but also you know by, by subsector and things like that. And there, actually, um, the, the BLS seems to be basically projecting that this current trend is going to reverse, right? That we're going to see actually the greatest cuts not in public sector employees, public sector operators, but in private sector operators, right? So, you know, again, it's about a 6% decline overall, but there's declines of, you know, 15, 20, 30, even 40% projected for water and wastewater operators in iron and steel mills or in the power generation sector or in pulp and paper manufacturing, which I think, you know, it does, when you put it in that perspective, it it does kind of make sense, right? That uh, it, in some cases, these may be industries that are already in decline to a certain extent, right? I mean, in our own research on pulp and paper, you know, we see that the the U.S. has kind of lost a lot of that manufacturing capacity to to China, to other parts of Asia, for example. So maybe tracking some of those broader industrial declines, but but also if you're thinking about the investment in automation and 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 specifically using automation and digital technology to replace people to cut costs to cut your labor, 
you would expect more of that in the private sector than you would in the public sector. And, and that's kind of what this data is showing. Yeah. So I think I, I agree with you. That's, I mean, your point about sort of the industries in decline or shifting, like, you know, you mentioned pulp and paper, power generation is one where energy transitions underway. We're shifting away from water intensive power generation solutions like coal, um, natural gas, but natural gas is becoming more efficient in its water management and usage. There's obviously wind and solar and other things. So I think that's really interesting. You know, longer term, we've talked about a blue field is like, what's the role of hydrogen? You know, there may be a dip, but the water management may sort of rebound a little bit when it comes to the power sector. This is really interesting stuff. And I appreciate the fact that one, not only, which is what we do, and you do a great job at it, is like reaching out to the BLS to get the data. Um, so let's just talk about like the broader context of the water sector as a whole when it comes to the you know current state of staffing and hiring. What's the, you know, there's been a lot happening obviously over, what are we, 2023 now since really, you know, more acutely since the start of COVID in 2020, but there's a lot happening. So what's what's the story? Yeah, so I mean, I think at the end of the day, you know, probably we'll we'll continue to kind of litigate this this conversation around what's going to happen to operators and and is this number the six percent number realistic? Um, you know, as I said, the private sector piece of it is a lot worse, but they are still projecting like a seven percent decline for government sector operators, a five percent decline for like private utility operators and things like that. So it's not to say, you know, my previous point, it's not to say that all of the declines are coming in industrial uh, the industrial sector, and and so when we flip. Uh, and look at what's going on in the municipal sector. This is obviously something that has been really top of mind for us. You know, we've done previous podcast episodes on this. We've done webcasts on this. Um, it comes up a lot in our research and conversations with clients and, and you know, conference presentations. And so there's a couple couple key things here. I mean, there is the longer term, like you said, the silver tsunami piece of it, this longer term trend around high retirement rates, right? The The water specifically the kind of munis municipal water utility workforce is older on average than the kind of national workforce in other industries. There's this Brookings Institution report from, you know, maybe five years ago that said something like 10% of all water utility workers were going to either retire or like transfer out of the sector every year through 2026. And I think that's a number that, you know, in some cases may even be an, uh, an, an underestimate, especially what we've seen with given what we've seen with COVID, with this kind of great resignation where, you know, many workers that maybe were not quite ready to retire ended up leaving anyway, just to avoid that risk of exposure in the early days of the pandemic, you know, and then great, the great resignation, we're seeing a lot of people kind of moving jobs, changing industries, um, shifting around in the sector. You know, I think in the, the heyday of that, maybe, a, you know, the past year or two, I've talked to utilities that face kind of annual staff turnover rates as high as like 50%, right? I mean, that's just unthinkable that 50% of your organization would leave in the course of a year, but that's that's where we are in some places in some parts of the world. And specifically to kind of bring it back to North America and, and to some maybe more, more, um, more quantitative data, there was the state of the water industry report from the AWWA in 2021 that said something like, you know, 40% of all North American utilities were having trouble hiring. A quarter were struggling just to be, meet their minimum staffing requirements, just their basic kind of minimum staffing requirements. And a lot of that was coming from 
treat it was you know it was it was the kind of skilled water industry specific positions like treatment operators and service technicians and you know heavy equipment operators that were really hard to fill and so you've got uh this dynamic where you know utilities are really just struggling to kind of keep the lights on and 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 get the people that they need to do uh do the jobs that they need to do yeah i think there's it's just a weird time i, I don't you know there's been a bit of a whipsaw effect you know with covid people working remotely people getting tired of working working from home being lonely in some cases um you know, it, it's just like I said, it's a weird world. It feels a little bit like we're sort of returning back to the norm. I, I was looking at some Bloomberg data recently about, you know, work from home, just more broadly speaking, and it does vary regionally. Um, but water utility space, the water utility space, it is critical infrastructure. I mean, there's certain things where people need to be there, you know, there need to be monitoring these systems. Um, many times on site, there are field workers that need to be out there. So, but what are the broader, you know, reasons for the, I guess, this change, you know, the, these issues, anything that's sort of underlying this, you know, what I would say, silver tsunami, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so I think the biggest one is just wages, right? I mean, we, we have looked at some other BLS data. There's there's a ton of really interesting BLS data. Every time I look into it, I find more little kind of nuggets of information. But when we were getting ready for a webcast for our clients uh, last year on kind of utility workforce issues, I was digging through some different like you know kind of median wage uh, information for basically comparing the water sector to electric and gas utilities. And so you can actually go and look at individual positions, you can see, you know, a manager in a water utility versus an electric or gas utility, an engineer, a plant operator, a meter reader, and kind of categorically across the board, when you when you compare water to those other utility sectors, electric and gas utility workers make about 40% more for the same types of positions than their water utility counterparts, right? So even just within these, this kind of close adjacent industry, water sector workers are getting a lot less money for for doing similar types of work, let alone comparing and competing with all of the other industries out there, all of the other sectors that are growing and that are that are kind of competing for workers, as you mentioned. There's also, I think, just a general lack of awareness about the water sector, right? I mean, again, the 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 whole, you know, when water and wastewater infrastructure is operating well, when water and wastewater utilities are doing their jobs, people aren't thinking about it. They're kind of turning on the water, getting, you know, turning on their taps, getting water, flushing the toilet, and it's not a problem for them anymore, right? So it's not necessarily something that a lot of people kind of grow up dreaming that they want to be part of, um, even if they are, you know, interested in, in the environment, interested in sustainability, there's that kind of lack of connection between getting involved in this line of work. And then I think to your point about, especially recently with, with COVID and this kind of broader shift in the expectations around work and, and kind of what a career looks like, you know, that flexibility to maybe work in a different city or, or, or you know, go spend half the year in another part of the world being a digital nomad, you know, that doesn't really work for utility staff. You're you're kind of tied to these local systems, this local these you know your local customer base, um, you know, the the assets that you're operating, and so you just it, it that flexibility just isn't there. And I mean, I've had you know plenty of conversations with utilities who see you know they're losing staff to 
other organizations that offer that flexibility, right? Maybe engineering firms or tech firms or other types of, you know, kind of industry players that they can offer that remote work flexibility that a utility just simply can't. Um, there's also other types of requirements. I had a really interesting conversation at Xylem Reach actually this week about, you know, the challenges of bringing in younger workers and the fact that, you know, in many cases, it's really hard for them to pass drug tests. And if they don't, it's kind of a, you know, if if you've got somebody out driving uh, a, a city vehicle or, or you know, out in the public with a a city logo on their shirt, if there's any kind of an issue, they immediately get drug tested. If there's any issue with that, they're out, right? They're, they're, there's just no kind of second chances. The liability there is really high compared to maybe a, a private sector employer that doesn't matter, right? <laughs> you, you know, younger people maybe can get away with with that. And, and it's not just younger people, right? I mean, um, but but that was a really interesting perspective that I hadn't heard before. Um, you know, background checks as well, educational requirements. There's all of these things that utilities and and especially as as kind of municipal or government entities they don't maybe have the same flexibility as as other types of private sector organizations in in uh, making the position and the requirements more appealing to to bring more people in the door yeah and quite honestly i mean it's veterans day so i'll give a shout out to the government workers right this is what government is for in many cases like you said i mean we've talked a lot about it you know most of the water wastewater utilities are government run government owned maybe not federal government in some cases yes but for the most part it's state local authorities and in municipalities that are running these things and it is a place where we do need to invest so every time you, one says government stinks it's inefficient it's a problem i don't want to pay taxes i don't want to pay for this you know, a lot of the funding doesn't just come out of water rates, right? Because there are caps on that. We've just done a water rate study again, and that only pays for part of it. That pays mainly for operations, but there are huge capital investments that need to be made. We've talked about the 75,000 or so water wastewater systems, but there's also the million, 4 million miles of distribution and collection systems that need to be maintained and managed as well. So, yeah, it's a little it's a little frustrating, right? And I think just the world has changed a little bit, right? The world has become more global in nature. I use that term loosely in the sense that people aren't always going to one job and staying there for 50 years of their career. You know, it's today's world is not our parents' world. So that's one of the challenges. And I just say leave it as a frustration. So are there any silver linings? So let's see if we can turn this into a positive. What's your what are your thoughts on that, Eric? Yeah, I mean, I think the other way to think about this, too, is that um, specifically to kind of bring it back to that perspective of the 6% decline in operators, um, you know, that may very well turn out to be true. Um, I know that, you know, as I, as we've kind of talked about, there are many in the, in the industry that maybe don't want that data point out there. But but part of it is that the needs of the industry are changing, right? It, it may be the case that there are fewer people who are classified as water and wastewater treatment and system operators. And maybe technology is going to play a role in causing that decline, right? If you've got certain types of, of tech investments and monitoring and automation and AI, maybe you don't need as many people that are doing that specific job, but it doesn't mean that there's going to be fewer people employed in the water industry, right? And, and so actually, you know, something that always kind of surprises me every time I look at it is, is you know, despite everything, you know, all the data points that that we've just talked about and all of the 
kind of conversations we've had in the industry about the staffing and hiring and recruiting challenges in the industry, we look on a quarterly basis at just overall BLS data on water industry employment. And it's just goes up, right? It's been, I mean, over the past, we've tracked it, I think it's back to like 2010 in our in our municipal water quarterlies. Um, and it's it's growing pretty steadily at about 1.5% every year. And it, and and it doesn't, you know, we haven't seen any major downturns. We haven't seen any major, you know, volatility there. Like, despite all of this, the the according to the BLS, the number of people employed in the industry in one form or, or another is actually growing, right? But they may not all be operators and maybe they don't have to be. There is this changing demand, these changing um needs for different types of positions and skill sets and backgrounds that is part of this broader digital transformation and and the kind of uh you know broader shift in in what it means to be a water utility and what the services are that are provided and the the information and the data and the systems that are being run and the the, the way assets are operated right there's all of these changes and these shifts that we talk about in in all of our research and and on this podcast they require different types of skill sets, right? And and so, you know, there are jobs now that maybe um, utilities are hiring for and bringing people on for that maybe didn't exist, at least not in the water industry 10 years ago, 15, 20 years ago, like data scientists, cybersecurity professionals, things like that. Um, I was looking back at that old Brookings Institution report that I mentioned earlier, and they had a little kind of a info box at one point on um, what they thought were going to be the high, the the quickest growing occupations within the water industry through you know the middle of this decade and it's like software developers it's information security analysts it's actually market researchers was number three which is funny from from my perspective as a market researcher um that that that's where they see the growth in the industry so yeah we may have fewer operators it doesn't mean we're going to have fewer people in the industry it means that the the you know utilities have a, a more diverse set of needs and skill sets that they're going to be hiring for and i think that's that's a good thing, right? I mean, that that means that the industry is changing and growing and evolving and and um and and hopefully it leads to you know better outcomes for for everybody. Yeah, here's to uh, here's to market research. But um I knew there was a silver lining. So I, I think you know, back to my conversations at the Rockwell Automation Fair, that was one of the takeaways. There was uh, on my panel was someone from Jacobs, Violia. And that was a resound. I mean, they felt strongly that it's not because we were talking about AI and cybersecurity and such. And it's not jobs aren't just going to disappear. So one, someone's got to manage the AI. Someone's there's still things that need to be done. It really, I think the silver lining was it just may be, you know, one, it makes, you know, customer service representatives you know, more efficient in how they do things, you know, when it comes to billing, when it comes to response times, they do either do more of what they're doing, or they can do something else. Um, that's the challenge. And I think that's where the media comes into play where it's, oh, my God, chat GPT and AI is going to take over the world. We're not going to have to do anything um, as a society, for that matter, it's just going to run itself. That's not going to happen. Um, there's just too much going on behind the scenes or not. So I think I agree with you completely about sort of the shifts and where things are going. Um, and it's, you know, the water sector is mature. It's, you know, there's a lot of knowledge that's still actually in people's heads, right? I mean, that's one of the things about digital technologies is making sort of the system 
more efficient as it is. Another thing I wanted to add, which is really, we haven't talked about this, but when you look at the water industry, I mean, maybe, I don't know where this would fall in the data, but then there's the role of contract operators. So whether it be Inframark or Jacobs or Veolia or H2O Innovation or three, four companies uh, that come to mind, particularly in the US, they're doing a lot of O&M, whether, you know, on water, wastewater utilities, as third-party players, you know, they have these one, two, three, five, 10-year contracts that they're working. And so they're sort of on the outside. So I'm not sure where they fall in the data. They may not even sort of hit that. They fall in the broader water industry BLS data, but not on the utility operations. And that's a segment that seems to be growing. The, the other part of that beyond just O&M is just sort of on-call contract operations, right? Where, you know, utilities have immediate or you know acute pressures where they need and they have contracts with companies such as that that come in and do the work so that's an interesting segment uh, we've been talking about internally as well so that would be where i maybe we leave it unless you have something else then my next question otherwise would be what are you working on next you got a lot going on um we're busy it's the end of the year people are asking what's up so What's your take? Yeah, we, I, it must be, I guess this time of year, it's kind of strategic planning uh, season. And so we've got a lot of clients that are kind of reaching out to set up briefings with us, presentations. And and so, you know, kind of jumping from topic to, to topic every couple of days. Uh, I was obviously in, at the Xylem com uh, conference earlier this week and gave a presentation about our global metering report um, that we put out earlier in the year. Got a lot of great kind of questions from some Xylem folks and from some of their partners and customers on that. Um, next up, doing a kind of an overall state of the global water sector and you know infrastructure and digital trends on Tuesday of next week. And then on Thursday, digging in on the North American pipe and network infrastructure market. All of that is to say, if you're uh, an existing Bluefield client, if you're you know, looking at a new topic, you know, kind of curious about what's going on or, or thinking about trends for next year, then reach out. We're we, you know, we we this is a really big you know, kind of important part of, of the service that we offer and, in, in, you know, not just putting out data and reports and podcasts and webcasts, but actually trying to sit and have conversations with our clients about what's changing, um, you know, what are markets that we're looking at, what are markets that they're looking at, how can we kind of make our data and our knowledge and our information more actionable. So yeah, if you have a Bluefield subscription and you want to bring us in, you know, virtually or, or even in person in some cases to to catch up and 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 you know talk shop then then let us know yeah so i agree with you 100 percent. it's been busy and actually some of our clients have been really proactive in requesting some of this information you know i think a week or two ago you've been involved in some of this we've talked about pfos we've talked about lead service lines just talked about you know hydrogen and the emergence of hydrogen renewable natural gas um, what that means for their businesses. One of the challenges of the water sector is that it does touch everything. Everything we, everything in the room in which I stand has been touched or directly or indirectly by water in some form. So as someone said to me uh, yesterday, wow, or two days ago, he's just like, wow, what you could do is really niche, kind of, because water touches everything in one way or another. So um, really interesting stuff. I really appreciate you getting on this. I don't remember when I asked you, when we saw the, the data come out and it was sort of hitting the, the interweb, 
we, um, you know, it's like, oh, this would be a really interesting podcast. And I think definitely you hit the hit the ball out of the park on this one, not only in just sharing your perspectives, but also just digging into it. I mean, this is what we like to do. There's a good source of data at the BLS. Uh, we are well-versed in, in sort of sorting through all this government data. It's one of the ways we help clients and companies. Uh, we know how to do it, do it efficiently um, using digital technology or AI or not. Um, it's something uh, you see, you've done a good job on this. So I really appreciate you jumping on um, and on a holiday at that. So uh, I'm just glad that uh, I live across from the USS Constitution, Old Ironsides, and I was kind of anticipating cannon shots to be coming my way because they, and I'm not going to lie, they do it every day. They do it at 8 a.m. and they do it at sunset. And it is so loud, the cannon, the blanks, obviously. But, um, it points right at my house, right across the uh, the mouth of the Charles River and the Mystic, and it is loud. And so, sort of, at least we weren't disrupted by that. So, next time, I'm that right for the end. Get a nice cannon blast to, to cap off the podcast. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's loud. All right. Well, with that, have a great weekend, and uh, we will talk again soon. So, appreciate the time and effort. Thanks, Reese. Talk to you later. All right. Take care. All right. That was fantastic. I really appreciate Eric getting on. Um, even on the side of this conversation and preparation, you know, he's so knowledgeable, knows what's happening. We talk about so many different things. So um, many thanks to him. And if you are a client, you should be tapping into Eric and the rest of our team for their insights and perspectives. Part of the relationship as a client is you get to call and talk to us at any time. That's the way it works. Um, we like it that way. We look forward to the questions. Clients ask the best questions and that's what helps guide our research. So uh, this BLS data, actually a question came to us from a client to kind of poke us and we said, hey, let's do this podcast. So thank you again. And uh, thanks to Eric on Veterans Day for taking the time to do so. And before we sign off, as always, if you are in Boston, where the big part of our global team will be next week, or in Barcelona, let us know. We'd enjoy the opportunity for a meeting. Eric and I talked just before this that meetings are important. We have a number of clients that we've seen, as you know, because I've talked about it on the podcast, face-to-face -face meetings go a long way. From Los Angeles to Madrid to Paris to Amsterdam to New York to Orlando to Washington, D.C., and on and on. That's where we've been over the past month. Let us help you, but let's do it in person. I like being with people, so let us know. Please subscribe, as I said from the outset. Give us a review. Apple Podcasts allows you to do it. Spotify, less so. But if you get that chance, give us a shout-out. It's really, really helpful to us to spread the word about the Future Water Podcast. If you have any topic ideas or thoughts that you'd like us to bring up, reach out to us at waterexperts at bluefieldresearch.com. We're doing this for you. And lastly, tell a friend about it. Certainly have a colleague that's a friend that might be interested in this. You don't have to listen to every episode, but there's got to be something out there. This is number 82. Give it a shot. Be a friend. It is, uh, you know, we're getting to the holiday season anyways. So 
this podcast and these water industry insights been brought to you by the one and only Bluefield Research. To learn more about us and how we help people across the water industry, visit us at bluefieldresearch.com. Until we talk again, be well, be safe, and take care.